Welcome to No Ordinary, Ordinary women. women, the podcast where two ordinary broads talk about extraordinary women, the good, the bad, and, and the, the bad shit crazy. Hey, Rose. Hey, Lynn. How was your day? It was long, but tomorrow's Thanksgiving. <laughs> it is. We get to eat lots of turkey. I'm so excited. Lots of dressing. What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? Um, probably stuffing. Oh, I yeah. freaking love stuffing. I mean, I, I, oh man, I love it. It's so bad for you, God. And I even like it better cooked in the bird, which people people a, don't like that. Yeah, I love it Why because don't people all like the it? drippings. Get on it because people think they think it's gross. But the bird's cooked. If you cook it correctly, it's fine. But people, people undercook. Some the bird. people think it's some people think it's gross. But it's not gross if you cook the bird correctly, and it's not hazardous to your health if you cook the bird correctly. Well, so if you know what the fuck you're doing, the stuffing in the bird is the best way because all the drippings from the turkey get I know, on the stuffing. I like that too. Andy makes a wet stuffing. Um, I don't know how what he does, but it it tastes like the stuffing in a bird in the bird, but it's not in the bird. Like he doesn't cook a whole bird; he cooks pieces of it. What? He doesn't yeah. cook a whole turkey? No, he cooks like pieces of it. So it's funny that you say that because I was listening today to the Daily, um, and on the Daily, they um, hi Michael Barbaro, love you. Anyway, um, I'm sure he's listening. <laughs> He is. He listens all the time. He he slides in my DMs all the time. Oh, yeah, I can't I get him. To, I can't get him to stop bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's from the New York Times. It's a podcast. I listen to it. I love it. Anyway, they did a whole thing on turkeys today, and it was so cute. It was like basically like back in the day when they first started making turkeys. How did they make them? And they on a spit over a fire, and they have to be 18 inches from the fire. And then it went to like the evolution of cooking turkeys. Yeah. And then they talked about how in Louisiana they deep they were like had all the stuff to make do a crab boil, and you know a lot of stuff. So like, why can't we fry the turkey? And so they started oh. that, and that got the frying turkey started. And then you know people started dying because they catch their house on fire. Have or you they ever would... had fried turkey? Um, I don't think I've had a deep fried turkey. I don't think I've either. They're supposed to be amazing. Yeah, I'd like but one. But it's dangerous because if you're if your turkey's even a little bit frozen, frozen, it can explode when you drop it in there. Well, and they're like, you know, you some have like, idiots making some fried turkey. You have like forty pounds. I mean, uh, forty like ounces, uh, not ounces, but like I don't know, like I don't know, like. I'm having a stroke. I'm having a stroke. You have like eight quarts of oil. And oh, you're okay, dropping yeah. a turkey that weighs 20 oh, pounds yeah, into it. Sure. And it's like, how dangerous yeah. is that? And then, yeah, I've seen. And usually they're, like, they're all drunk and like, oh, yeah. And I saw, my Budweiser. I just, I just saw a video of this guy. <laughs> he picked up the turkey off the off the um, the sheet pan. And the guy's holding it by the, the big hooks to drop it in. And then the guy takes the juices from the turkey and pours it into the oil. I guess thinking he's going to flavor the oil. But that's like water. You can't pour oh water God, in oil. Oh, my God. What a dumbass. Did it go? It what flames did it do? were like flying up against the house. I was like, oh god. So anyway, then he talked about the turkeys. And you don't flavor oil. What the fuck? I know. I mean, that's he didn't say that, but I was like, why? That why else would you pour it? Yeah. So anyway, one of the things they said is there's a word for it, it begins with the S. I can't think of it, but it's when you crack the back of the turkey and you make it flat. Yeah. And you cook it flat on a sheet pan oh. because that makes everything cook at the same yeah, right. time. Yeah. And the, so your your legs aren't like completely dry by the time the That's breast is cooked. That's why Andy or, makes 
I don't know. He makes a, just some pieces of a turkey. I don't know how he does it. But he probably gets the big drumsticks and he probably cooks the breast, like a whole turkey breast. Yeah. And then he does drumsticks and maybe the wings. He just doesn't get the whole carcass. And it's it's a hell of a lot easier to serve if you're not. Yeah. And, and to it's, cook it because cooks it cooks better evenly. Because it's, yeah, it's does he cook it like in the oven or does he cook it like on the grill? Or? He cooks it in the oven. So my favorite. So when we were kids, my mom always. I don't always, care what your favorite is. Well, I'm telling the listener. I'm telling all my fans. <laughs> all your fans. All the fans. No, so my mom. Hey, you in the back. Here she comes with her story. <laughs> About Thanksgiving. <laughs> so my mom always cooked. Um, she didn't like traditional Thanksgiving food. So she always cooked seafood. Oh, my God. Yum. Which I hated as a kid. <gasps> I hated it. I love seafood. But I hated having it on Thanksgiving. Because yeah. I'm like, no. Like, everybody used to make fun of us, for one. Well, <laughs> Not just for that. That wasn't the only reason, though. There were lots of reasons they made fun of. (laughs) One more. Add it to the list. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The weird white family (laughs) down the street. (laughs) With with blonde hair. Yeah. Yeah, A bunch of weirdos. The dirty white family. Mm -hmm. Um, So we always had seafood, and I hated it. So I love, like, traditional... Oh my god. Thanksgiving food. I don't like... I don't like anything added weird to the stuffing, like apples or... Any kind of oh, shit like that. Any kind of stuffing. No, I don't even no, care. I don't. No. I'm not a huge fan of oyster stuffing, but I'll eat oh, it. Oh, that's disgusting. I yeah. No, I like apple and sausage. I, I just like want like regular I like stuffing. Yeah. I do like regular, but regular turkey with mashed potatoes and a whole bunch of gravy all over it. Oh, yeah. Some sweet potato casserole mm. and a huge piece of pumpkin pie. No so, vegetables. No vegetables at all. Do you no. not eat any? I don't eat any vegetables on oh, Thanksgiving. I so, don't have the room. Are yeah. <laughs> So, um, and you're not, you don't have to bring a single thing, not dessert, nothing. I'm just bringing, um, I'm supposed to bring the centerpieces every year. And usually at the, that day, I'm like, oh crap, like looking for something to bring and bring like my kids. Last year, I think I brought toilet paper rolls that they made into turkeys at school. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> so this year, I actually thought about it like a month ahead of time Aww. and I made a nice, a really nice oh, pretty. centerpiece. Yeah. That's so nice. I'm very excited about that. It's going to be the the highlight of Thanksgiving uh, for sure. I'm sure everyone won't even like, think about the food. Fucking shit on my table. <laughs> um, so every year we have. I mean, like, and it sounds like you guys have a fairly um, repetitive menu, right? Like yeah, right. Yeah. So for us, we always have the turkey, like, and then we always have stuffing, and we def- definitely have varied to have different kinds of stuffing. And I don't care. I I'll eat it all. I do like the plain old, but I'll eat anything. And then mashed potatoes, always. you got to have mashed potatoes. Oh, yeah. Sweet potatoes. And I make a sweet potato casserole that is phenomenal. I bet. That everybody loves. And I even have an ex-boyfriend who I made it for for two years after we broke up because his kids loved it so much. (laughs) And and my heart, you know, I'm a softie when it comes to kids. And they're like, I know you and Lynn are broken up, his son, but do you think you could possibly make get her to make the sweet potato casserole? So after two years of me making it for them, just for the kids, um, I gave him the recipe. And um, so, oh, you're so sweet. I am sweet. Um, and he's married now, so he's on his fucking own. But um, <laughs> this is instead of having like marshmallows, which I'll, I would eat. A sweet potato casserole with marshmallows, I have no problem with it. But this one has, it's like sweet potatoes, and you mash them up, and you, and I put them in the, I made a lot of changes to the recipe, but I fluff them up, like in the mixer, and get them nice and fluffy. I add um, pineapple tidbits, and I, use, I used to add raisins, and then I didn't, and now I do golden raisins in it, 
and they, they get nice and plump and they're like because mm, I'm not like a huge that. fan of raisins and stuff yeah, but in either. this with the golden ones because they get nice and plump they're not hard and chewy yeah, like they're in like yeah. a cookie and um and then it's got like pumpkin pie spice and cinnamon and cloves yeah. and all that stuff in there and then on the top you mix like like <laughs> Like two sticks of butter with brown sugar and flour. Oh, <laughs> well, now I know why it's good. And pecans. <laughs> you can't taste any of the other stuff. It is so freaking good. So my nieces, both my nieces and my kids, all when they did Friendsgiving in college, yeah, they all all were like, Mom, what's your sweet potato recipe? And that's like the, the one thing my kids always, oh, really? and my nieces Aww. always brought. Yeah, that's so sweet. it's like the best recipe. So and then we always have like a green bean or Brussels sprouts or something. And then... My stepmom's bringing tossed salad this year. Um, so we're not doing appetizers this year, which is good because we always end up. Yeah, you don't need appetizers is, on Thanksgiving. Well, dinner always ends up being way too late. Yeah. Like it's postponed. And then everybody eats too many appetizers and then they're sick. So I said to my mom, I said, this is a good idea because if she brings the salad, because we don't typically have a tossed salad right. at Thanksgiving. Yeah. But we can have that. Instead of an appetizer, like everyone can have just a plate of salad. Yeah, and then you're not full. You're right. like, oh and my it's god, just like give a me nice real little, food. <laughs> a little because I feel like after Thanksgiving dinner, I feel like I have a brick in my belly. Like, oh yeah, and I feel for like sure. the salad might help a little bit. I don't know, <laughs> but and then cranberry sauce. Do you guys do cranberry sauce? Um, Aaron, my nephew's the only one who likes cranberry sauce, and so and but he likes it out of the the can. can. Yeah, the jelly. And so kind. Andy buys him. Andy's my brother-in-law. He makes our whole Thanksgiving. He um, buys Aaron his own cranberry Aww. sauce every year out of the can. My stepdad likes the jellied cranberry sauce in the can. I make a cranberry sauce with fresh cranberries and fresh pears. See, I wouldn't mind trying that. Oh, it's so good. It's from Skinny Taste. I've never tried Hi, anything. Hi, Gina. And um, <laughs> hey, girl. She's a listener, too. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put her down on my list of people to tag. Um, but anyway, that's yeah, that's my that's my the. And the cranberry sauce because it's kind of like runny. And then the last thing that's a tradition in our family, and the show's almost over, <laughs> um, is my mom has made since we were very little a jello mold, which people go, ew. But it's kind of weird because it's always been in our a tradition. Yeah. I don't know if my grandmother made it. I don't know why my mom started making it. I think it was something my grandmother made, but it's like you use orange jello. And then you mix shredded carrots and pineapple in with it. Oh my god! It sounds so weird. That sounds so gross. And then, and then you. This sounds even grosser. But I'm telling you, it's actually really, really good. Um, and then you make a dressing for it with mayonnaise and pineapple juice. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds disgusting when, as I'm saying it, I'm like, "Oh my god, this sounds so gross!" But it, I'm telling you, it's really, really good. I believe you. I'll make it for you one day. We Rose. do. Our, I'll do our, it. I'll make it as Jello shots. Our family tradition is um, Fred. Have you ever eaten Fred? I don't know if, like, my family just calls it Fred. Just that or... one time in college. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell anybody though. But you'll know. You'll probably know what it is. It's like um, it's all white and creamy. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. Then I will spit her drink out. <laughs> Why did you say that right when I took a big sip of my drink? I had to spit it back out in the cup. It's all white and creamy. <laughs> it's all white and creamy. <laughs> what the fuck? But it is. Okay. I don't know. I think it's like Cool Whip or something. And, and it has... you go has... to a local prison and get it? Where do you get it from? <laughs> it has like grapes and mandarin oranges and 
um, oh, that's marshmallows. Like, no, that's called isn't that called, called Waldorf? It's called something Waldorf else. Salad. It's called um, Watergate salad. Watergate? It's called Watergate salad. But our, our family calls it Fred salad, and then it has coconut in it. Why is it? Yeah, it's called Watergate. salad. I have salad. no idea why they call it Fred salad. Why? That's pretty good. Fred salad. Mm-hmm. It found, sounds like somebody, sounds like somebody's jizz is in it. In my, <laughs> sounds disgusting. Maybe originally there was. That's Watergate salad. I'm gonna type in Fred salad. So you guys have that too. Yeah, Christine always makes up. Fred salad. Let's see what it says. Nope, that doesn't look like Watergate salad. I'm gonna type in Watergate salad. Let me see Fred salad. French Watergate chicken salad. salad. That's what it is. <laughs> no, that's not Watergate salad. Yeah. What kind of? It, does it have pistachios? Pistachio pudding in it? Doesn't it have pudding? Is it green? No. What color is it? It's creamy and white, I said. Oh, that's right. It is white. So what What makes it creamy and white? Because Watergate salad is just like that. It's got like mini marshmallows, coconut. Um, and then fruits. Yeah. And then. Yeah, it's um, probably the, about the same thing. But it's used pistachio pudding. Maybe Christina uses vanilla pudding. I don't think there's any pudding in it. There has to be pudding in it. What would make Why it white? Why would there be pudding? What, oh, does she just use Cool Whip? I think whip? it's like Cool Whip. Cool Whip? Cool It's probably whip. not even Cool Whip. She's going to be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, so it's like this one is, let's see, pineapple, pistachio pudding, miniature marshmallows, chopped pecans, um, oh, maybe. Cool yeah, whip this topping. Is, this is the same thing, yeah. So that's what it sounds like. Yeah, so she might, maybe but I she just uses vanilla pudding. It, yeah. So it's it's Watergate salad, but a little different. Yeah. So she like doesn't Fred use. Fred likes it. Who's? Why is it have the name Fred? <laughs> I have no idea. Fred. It's always been called that. I I didn't know. I always thought that was like what it was Rose, called. I need to tell you, I really don't like the name of that salad. <laughs> I think we're gonna have to make a big change in your family. Talk to my sister. She's the only one who makes it. But everybody, do you eat it with dinner or you eat it with dessert? Eat it with dinner. Oh, okay. So that's like the Jello salad. It's the same thing. It's that weird thing. Yeah, that's, right. Yeah, that's kind that of only like, the family would eat it. Yeah, but I mean the <laughs> Jello salad is kind like. of good. It's kind of like cran- a cranberry sauce where you get it, mix it in with the mashed potatoes yeah, and the gravy and stuff. Yeah. It's so yummy. It's so good. But my mom used to be fancy fancy and serve it on a side dish with a little leaf lettuce under it. But I didn't know I'm a push it. I had a bunt pan from my sister so I can make a bunt. A bunt. It's a. Oh my god, this is so funny that you said that. It's a bunt. My coworker was doing that today because her sister was supposed to bring pumpkin pie, and she's like, "All I could find was a bunt." So my coworker all day was like, "All she can do is bunt. We're just gonna have a bunt. A bunt. We're just gonna have a bunt. It's a bunt. <laughs> That's it's so funny. It's a bunt. Okay. So anyway, we hope you guys all had a happy Thanksgiving. So I hope you were able to put those earbuds in and listen to our podcast during Thanksgiving, so you didn't kill your family. Um, yeah. I hope you did. I really hope you did. I uh, hope everyone had a good time. Yeah. I'm ready to dig about. down and eat. I got to make, I got my sweet potatoes cooked this afternoon. Tomorrow, tonight I'm going to make the casserole and I'm going to make the jello mold. So I'm starving now. Yeah. We're going to have well, to cut this like, short. We walked in the house and my sister's caramelizing onions for, oh, the stuffing she's making is a kale and caramelized onions stuffing, which I'm like, Rose is going to hate. But I mean, it sounds pretty good. I mean, I don't care. I'll eat it. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah, it, it, it smelled better be, than it sounds. <laughs> the onions, though, we walked downstairs, and the whole house smells like onion, and because they have one of those stupid exhaust fans that goes in the microwave and out the microwave. It's like th- those things are senseless, it's pointless. Yeah. So, um, they definitely want to remodel and get something that vents outside. But 
Um, so we walked downstairs, and I my whole shirt smells like yo <laughs> from all the onions. <laughs> but it still smelled amazing when I walked in the house. My niece is in there chopping up bread. She goes, Aunt Lynn, we're making Chris, we're making Thanksgiving dinner. I was like, all right, so, so anyway. sweet. Okay, I love so, that, like a warm house with yeah. the food smelling and yeah. cocktails on the on the fire. Julia, oh. <laughs> Julia always greets me. Rose, it's so nice to see you. She's like seven going on 48. <laughs> the kid is like more proper so than funny. I ever was. And she always gives me a be. big hug, which is super sweet. Yeah. She said, yeah, uh, the chocolate pie that mama brought is bringing, it has hazelnuts on it. I don't like hazelnuts, so I just won't eat those. And I was like, okay, well, I'll make sure you give them to me. And she goes, well, I'll just probably give them to the person next to me. And I said, okay, well, I'll sit next to you. She goes, it'll be the person on my right. And I was like, okay, I'll sit on your right. She goes, well, I'll probably give them to the person on my left. I'm like, bitch, give me your fucking. <laughs> She's saying no. I demand the hazelnuts. <laughs> She's saying she doesn't want to give them yeah. to you. See if I take you to have fun ice cream days ever again. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not getting to see my kids tomorrow, which bums me out. But None of them? No. No, oh, really? Casey was supposed to come, but she got a job, um, and she's working in a um, a resort kind of environment. So there's no, you know, it's a big day for them. She's not. And Do you want so, me to come and pretend to be your kid? Yeah, can you? Sure. Yeah, you I'll not give it up that dinner. Are you crazy? No, well, I'll then, come after. Well, and I can't even bring Penelope because my dad's bringing his dog, so I have to leave Penelope at home. Um, but anyway, so, yeah. So it's kind of a bummed out. I'm kind of bummed out that I'm not going to be with my kids, but... It is what it is. I'll see them at Christmas, and I'll just go home and drink myself into a stupor, stupor, and go to sleep. I'm kidding. I won't do Cry that. Then I have a hangover. Be sad. <laughs> I can't deal with a hangover. I'm too old for that shit. Okay. Okay. Anyway, Let's who are you doing rolling. today, girl? I am talking about. So the other day, I was actually listening to to uh, LGTC for what all of that? you peasants out there. That's Let's Go to Court. <laughs> our favorite <laughs> podcasters. Wouldn't you say? Would you say they're our favorite? Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, and. I they talked about a woman an an Asian American woman and I said and she was like we have I dawned on me I don't remember what the whole thing was but she said it dawned on me that we haven't represented the Asian community at all and she was like and so I was like oh shit neither have we so and they've been doing their podcast way longer so I was like you know what let me look and see because I'm sure there's badass Asian American women I've thought about it like I've found some good um, women to do but the names are sometimes so hard to pronounce that I'm like... <laughs> well, I when I was looking, I found a bunch of Pacific Islanders, and I was like, oh, no, Rose can do those because she can pronounce the names. I I mean, the names for the Pacific Islanders are yeah. very difficult. And so maybe I will do one, and I'll just... Because I have... I go... When I do these, when I write it up, it's like today when I was reading it over, and mine's not very, very long, but when I was reading it over, I was going through words that I didn't know how to pronounce, and I go to Google, and I do yeah, like a pronounce right. thing. And it was not working for me today, so I had to change... <laughs> the structure of my sentence. Well, and do you say the names out loud? Because I find if I just read it in my head, I can say it, but then I say it out loud. <laughs> well, yeah, no, absolutely. So one of the things was it. interment camps. Yeah. Um, I'll talk about that in my story. So the intern, internees, internees. So they're like, see, and that's why, that's why I keep inflecting my voice at the wrong time. <laughs> and so I kept saying it over and over again. I was like, internees, 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 internees. Inter-. And I was like, I'll just change it to the people in the prison camp. Because <laughs> I was like, I could not, because I couldn't get the thing to work. My yeah. sound wasn't working on my computer. I was like, what the fuck is going on? So anyway, yeah. So, okay. um, but there's some stuff in this that 
Uh, so just to tell you guys, there's a there's a lot of things about this story that I don't know if I was high. I don't know if I was sleeping, but I did not learn about internment camps um, in school. Like, I didn't either. But I, I didn't go to school. So did, I, <laughs> I had no idea. And there's so many things that she talks that they not she they talk about when they talk about this woman that I'm getting ready to tell you guys about. And I didn't know what they what it was. And so I break off and give you a description of what this, you know, what this was and how it worked out and stuff. But it's it absolutely blew my mind that I had no idea. And uh, so anyway, so today I'm talking about Evelyn Yushim, uh, Yashimura. Yashimura. Okay. I please God, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, so Evelyn was born in 1948 in Denver where she and her family had resettled after leaving a World War II concentration camp in Poston, Arizona. So she lived in a camp, basically a concentration camp, like Jews were in in Germany. She lived in a concentration camp in the United States. It blows my mind. And people are probably like, bitch, you are so dumb. I swear to God, I had no idea this even happened. What year was this? Um, Well, I don't know what year the camp, but she was born in 1948 and in Denver after her family was in the concentration camp. So probably World War. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Here we go. go. World War Two. World War Two. I can say it today. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So uh, but it's 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 just. Yeah. There were a lot of those after World War. Yeah, But I I, I just it blows my mind. Yeah, No, it should blow your mind. I mean, this is the United States of America. We're not supposed to do that, right? I oh, think wait, we're still we doing that. Shooting wait. this week? Oh no, we had three. Sh- no, in the past seven days, we've had wait seven shootings. Don't we That's... have those camps for like the um, Mexican children crossing over? Yeah, basically the same yeah. thing. It's yeah, basically internment camps. The, yeah, same thing. basically same thing. Mm. I'm gonna build a big wall. Anyway, okay. So when Evelyn, <laughs> 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 when Evelyn was a young child, the family moved to Crenshaw. To the Crenshaw District of Los Angeles, she grew up in a predominantly black community during the tumultuous civil rights era of the 1960s. She was physically present during Watts' Rebellion of 1965. So I had no idea because, again, I was either sleeping or high. What is Watts' Rebellion? Oh, okay. that's what you had no I'm idea tell you. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. This is where I break off and tell you about something. On August 11th, 1965, Marquette Fry, a 21-year-old African-American man, was pulled over for drunken driving. After he failed a field sobriety test, officers attempted to arrest him. Marquette resisted arrest with assistance from his mother, Raina Fry. A physical confrontation ensued in which Marquette was struck in the face with a baton. Meanwhile, a crowd of onlookers had gathered. Rumors spread that the police had kicked a pregnant woman who was present at the scene, which I don't even know if it was true. But I mean, it could have been. Who knows? Rumors spread that the uh, so then six days of civil unrest followed, motivated in part by allegations of police abuse. Nearly 14,000 members of the California Army National Guard helped suppress the disturbance, which resulted in 34 deaths, as well as over $40 million in property damage. It was the city's worst unrest until the Rodney King riots of 1992. Wow. So that's... That's intense. So after she graduated from Dorsey High School, she attended Cal State Long Beach. During a class assignment, she asked her father to speak. I'm sorry. Yeah. During a class assignment, she asked her father to speak about his time in the World War II internment camp. She was surprised to hear his rage and feelings of betrayal. This was when she realized how much her life in the internment camp shaped how much 
her life was shaped by her father's time in the internment camp and also when she became more determined to be an active advocate in the civil rights movement. During her time on campus at Cal State, she and her friends screened a documentary on the internment camps for over 100 students as a way to increase the conversation on shared experiences among Japanese-American students. So people at this time weren't thinking that, you know, Japanese people were being discriminated against. Oh, yeah. But they absolutely were. They were being... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They were being uh, racially profiled and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, they still are. Yeah, yeah, they still are. Absolutely. Evelyn's name was on the flyers, which caused her to become a target for an anonymous for anonymous death threats. Now, Evelyn knew she had much more work to do. She went on to join a group of students of color who campaigned for ethnic studies to be included in the Cal State curriculum, thus offering classes which would reflect and support diversity. Uh, imagine that, Rose. What? Why would they do that what? at Why? Cal what? State? Isn't it just a white world out yeah, there? I mean, Don't we just need to learn about white men? Yeah. And all the great things the white men do By in this way, world? By the way, they still teach that in school. Yeah, they do. I didn't learn anything. That's why I don't think I learned anything about these internment camps, because I swear to God. Oh, no. I mean, Joseph, like, had never heard, and you also had never heard of the residential camp, the, resi- yes. the residential schools, and that it's kind of stuff. because they leave it I out. Mean, yeah, they don't talk about it. So ridiculous. Students said... Charlotte, so were- Charlotte's learning about, you know, um, Christopher Newport. Newport? Is that his name? Christopher Newport? Wait, that's the name of a school, yeah. And, and so a person, yeah. Pocahontas. Oh, yeah, because... Because it's Thanksgiving, you know. I'm like, okay. Wait, no, it's not Christopher Newport. It's... Um, it is. It's a... Uh, it is Christopher Newport. Is it? With Pocahontas? Well, not... I don't think they were together, My God, but... y'all. I keep getting spam calls, and I'm talking like 20 or 30 a day. I cannot get them to stop. Someone's got to help me. I have no... And you can't block the numbers because they call from a different number every single time. And I'm talking literally 20 or 30 a day. I, I have no idea what to do. Somebody help me. Anyway. Okay. Sorry. Because I just got another one. It's making it's making me cuckoo. You got on a list. I don't even... Like I... And you I just have to... Con- I tried to answer. I answered like three one day and said, take my name off your list. And I don't know if that was the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Because they're just spam. So you I need to... I can't. But they were real people. Ask. They asked me... By name. Yeah, they have your name, but you need to just keep blocking the numbers and eventually it'll stop. Every single number that comes in is the wrong, is a different number. Like I had one, it was like 333-5657. And then two seconds later, 333-5658, 333-5671, 333-5678. It was like... It was every yeah. number. It, that used to happen to Joseph's. It's when like we a first got Joseph's dial. phone, it constantly would do that. Like he had somebody's number who was. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is that my kids, you know, like they're they don't live close by. So if somebody is with them and something's wrong. Yeah, you want to answer it. I want to answer it, yeah. but so I just have to wait and see if there's a message. Yeah, it drives me crazy. Okay, so anyway, so students were quoted as saying at this time, uh, we're the first people in our families to go to college and we have a responsibility to the people whose shoulders we're standing on, which I thought was kind of oh, cool. Oh, yeah, that's sweet. When university administrators ignore the protests, the student group resorted to more drastic measures. One of those was, you ready for this, Rose? Stripping naked. They put glue in all the locks of the buildings. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh even my. better. That's so great. Yeah, because that sucks. I mean, that's somebody had to pick that shit out. You know, they were like, God damn it. <laughs> So racial tensions came to a head after a protester turned after a protest turned violent when other counter protesters confronted the group. The violence ended with the arrest of two black male students. One of the students tragically died in police custody, which led to more protests. 
Evelyn mourned the loss of the fearless young student and the, and all the potential loss due to his death. She brought to attention the fact that he had spearhead, spearheaded an effort to start a summer youth program in Long Beach prior to his death. Aww. I mean, these... I don't think of all the things he could have done. Right, exactly. Finally, in response to the protests by Evelyn and her classmates, uh, Cal State University of Long Beach made a handful of ethnic classes available. In the early 1970s, she helped to develop Cal State's Fledging Asian American Studies Program. During this period, she was one of the founders of the AmeriAsia Bookstore, a cultural institution in Little Tokyo, which lasted for two decades. It was one of the only stores to sell literature written by Japanese Americans. Oh, that's awesome. Isn't that great? She also was a staff member of, of Girda. It's G-I-R-D-A. I think it's Girda. It was a Moeist Asian American publication that featured a provocative mix of journalism, graphic art, and social, cultural, and political commentary. So Moism is a form of communism developed by Mayo... Mayo Mayo Tsi Tung. It is a doctrine to capture state power through a combination of armed insurgency, mass mobilization, and strategic alliances. The Mayoists also use propaganda and disinformation against the state institutions as their other components of their insurgency doctrine. So just so you know what that is. (laughs) That was tough to read. Sorry. During her time writing for Girda, she wrote about the cultural impact and ugliness of the Vietnam War and the uniquely and the unique identity crisis that many Asian Americans face, primarily focus, primarily focusing on the model minority complex, which is model minority is like stereotyping. Yeah. Girda is now widely recognized as the voice of the Asian American movement. What's kind of funny is that Evelyn and the other staff humbly deny its worthiness of such a tagline. So, you know, it's like the voice of the American. She's like, no, it's not that yeah, great. Right. But people, yeah, I mean, Just journalists and everything thing. have said it's absolutely that great. Yeah. She also joined the Little Tokyo's People's Rights Organization, an activist group whose primary goal was to disrupt the redevelopment plans that threatened the cultural identity of Little Tokyo. Evelyn's time, Evelyn's ties to the Little Tokyo community are extensive. Before she was born, her mother taught piano at the old Makeo Hotel. Her father was an accountant, worked at banks in the neighborhood. She recalls going to a local Buddhist temple for Buddha's birthday celebration and also eating Chinese food with her family at the Far East Cafe. Evelyn was notably active in the redress campaign, but she makes sure to note that the fact that her colleague, uh, Yashuko, worked diligently to ensure the participation of the Japanese-speaking community in the redress process. So the redress process. Now I'm going to tell you about that. I was going to ask what that was. (laughs) I knew you would. I I, I have my my eyes dotted and my T's crossed. 30 years after closing the closing of the camps, the internment camps, Japanese Americans set out to rectify the the injustices committed against them during World War II. In 1978, the Japanese American Citizens League launched a campaign for redress calling for restitution in the amount of $25,000 per person held in the prison camps, an apology by Congress acknowledging the wrong and the funds to establish an education trust fund. It's like, yes. But that never happened. <laughs> the fundamental strategy of the campaign focused on the loss of individual freedoms guaranteed by the Constitution and enumerated by the Bill of Rights. I mean, they're saying you we're in America. This is the Constitution. This is the Bill of Rights. You violated that. And so yeah, now right. you owe us money. Yeah. And, you know. 
I'm with, sure they can come up with a reason that's oh my not God. true. With a population that was only one half of 1% of the total population of the country, it was clear that the Japanese Americans alone could not win this campaign. The strategy, therefore, was to wage a far-reaching campaign utilizing the media to educate the public about the World War II in- incarceration and to build coalition of groups willing to support the legislative effort. Oh, man, I would totally. Right now, I'd support the hell out of that. <laughs> Additionally, Evelyn served as a key community organizer for the Los Angeles hearings of the Commission on Wartime Relocation and Internment of Civilians that took place in 1981. What is that, Rose? Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much I learned. And so I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I might be not as abreast of these things like people, other people, but I feel like I need to explain it. August 4th, 1981 was the first day of the CWRIC Los Angeles hearings, which is the Commission of Wartime Relocation Interment Interment of Civilians. It's just the CWRIC. It consisted of testimonies that cover the personal accounts of Japanese Americans held in the camps, their children, and the wide range of effects stemming from camp experiences due to executive due to Executive Order 9066. Testifiers experienced business and property loss, being forced from their homes, feeling exploited, and then being sent home with nothing to come back to. Like they're Yeah, right, because their house is gone, their business is gone. Those held in the camps also shared their post-camp trauma and feelings of shame for being Japanese-American. Oh, my gosh. It just makes me so freaking sad. Evelyn wrote powerful, I'm sorry, Evelyn wrote powerfully about the ugliness of the Vietnam War and the unique inner conflict felt by Asian-Americans. And so she she said, our brothers have been drafted into the military to face fighting and possibly dying in a war that even the legislators of our country cannot wholly support. And for Asian-American brothers, there is an added contradiction of killing other Asian people in the name of a country that itself is divided in its support of the war. Right. Yeah. I can't even I'm sure that was like. Could you imagine being an Asian-American person and you're in this fucking war and you're killing another Asian person. Well, and then your for own country, reason that nobody right. knows. And your own country is saying, well, we don't want you either. You know, we don't care about yeah. you either. Yeah, your grandparents were in a prison yeah. camp in your country. That and you're we're not going to do anything to oh, rectify that. No. Okay. Evelyn takes great pride in her involvement in the U.S. anti apartheid movement in the 1980s, along with fellow Asian American leaders like Little Tokyo Service Center's Mike. Muracy. Evelyn worked to mobilize the Asian American community. Protesters staged boycotts at various Shell gas stations on the weekends. Shell had invested heavily in the South African apartheid. She helped organize Asian American participation in an annual anti-apartheid march along Martin Luther King Boulevard. One year at its height, the march had nearly 4,000 participants with 100 or so Asian Americans among them. That oh, wow. gives me chills. Evelyn believed that the effort was key to strengthening the relationship between the Asian American and African American communities. So in August 12th, she was working um, as the community organizing director of Little Tokyo Service Center, where she is work where she worked with many projects, including building connections with Arab American, Muslim communities, um, working with those communities after September 11th. So that okay. had to be yeah. really tough. In December of 2021, Evelyn retired after almost 40 years at the Little Tokyo Service Center and decades of work in the Little Tokyo community as the LTSC, Little Tokyo Service Communities, Director of Community Organizing, Evelyn's social activism and grassroots organization. Organizing helped steer the mission and values over the years. Her wisdom, moral compass, and moxie will sorely be missed, but her vision and legacy continues onward. 
with LTSC's work. That was on their their website when she retired. So oh, really? That was cool. oh. Evelyn was recognized by Huffington by HuffPost as one of in quotes eight badass Asian Americans we can't overlook this women in this during this Women's History Month unquote. Oh, isn't that cool? That's really cool. And that's it for it's, her. She's women like that are just they're the whole reason that like they're pushing us forward. You know? Yes. Yeah, I mean, they're like, they're like, absolutely. I mean, she, you know, the fact that, I mean, I looked her up and the amount of stuff I learned from this story is ridiculous, number one. Um, Number two, that the fact that she was like, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tolerate like people stereotyping my race and my family. I, I don't understand like, and then the fact that she like did all that work for Muslims and Arab Americans after 9-11 because I know like I had a friend who um, was Muslim and she said after 9-11 she's like we did not leave the house she's like we did not leave the house after 9-11 she was like it was it she's like I mean there was like no her husband would go to the grocery store and get them groceries but she and he would go to work but she and the kids did not leave the house they drew the curtains and she was so worried because they everybody knew they were Muslim where they live and she was so worried that you know, somebody and I just and they were just like the nicest. Fu- oh, my God. Their family was so funny. They were the nicest, funniest family, like just like very chill. And I find laid that back and often with um, Muslim families. Oh my they're God, very they was, like her son would eat. I'll never forget. Oh, my gosh. It was the funniest thing. Her son would eat a chicken, a chicken leg and he would eat it down. And there was nothing but the bones <laughs> left. I mean, he would like lick them. I was like, yeah. What in the world did you eat? Like, I see, I'm really weird when I eat chicken. Like, I can't eat it. The cartilage, or, you know, yeah, right. He ate that thing, <laughs> cleaned it to the bone, and I he and, but he could eat and eat. And he was so funny. Oh my god, he was. So, and she was the sweetest woman. She would make. She would take a five pound bag of flour and make pita bread for everybody in the neighborhood. And oh wow! The pita bread would be all around her house. She would have sheets laying over the couches yeah. and stuff where she was letting it rise because she didn't have enough room in her kitchen to let it rise. So she had like, you know, 40 pita breads yeah, right. and they would be rising all over the That's house. That's awesome. Oh my God, I was I like, love oh, that. can I have some warm pita bread? She would hand me, I was just like, that was so good. But yeah, I mean, and it's just sad. And so the fact that she reached out to that community and helped them after yeah. 9-11 is... Well, and the um, Asian community is so, they're forgotten. You know what I mean? Nobody thinks about it because... No, I absolutely We're focused agree. on other things and... and they they are kind of forgotten and and they do face a lot of racism and it's it's very sad and yeah the stereotyping right, and the stereotyping and one of the things that Mary said is that she was you know she uh, my sister um, majored in art history she has her master's in art history and she said she learned so much truth about history through art history because there's so many artists that are not recognized in what we learn in school yeah right and because you know oh you know they're Asian American or they're Italian American or yeah, they're Jewish we just learn about the white people African American whatever and so they weren't recognized and so in hard art history they embrace all of everybody and it's so amazing she she was talked about somebody that i can't remember the name she said somebody that was in one of those internment camps and he decided and they're in arizona so pretty shitty environment like yeah um weather wise but he was trying to build gardens like artistic gardens in the internment camp just like probably to keep him from going crazy yeah right if i had a guess um and but he he had a really hard time doing it because there's you know, there's there's no water and it's like dry heat and yeah. stuff like that. And so no plants. But that was one of the things that, you know, it's just like an artist like that. I, we would have never heard about that, about him or, yeah. that or anything like that. So it's kind of cool. But 
Yeah. I mean, she is definitely another badass woman. So good job, Len. Thanks, Rosie. And we didn't talk about our cocktail today. So um, we're going to do another shout. We're going to do another shout out to um, Dockeria because we're finishing the margaritas tonight. (laughs) (laughs) The margarita mix. It's delish. Yeah, so yeah, it's um very good. Thanks, Takaria. We love you. We're gonna we go refresh you. our drinks and have some food and we'll be back. Yeah. For my story. Bye. Bye. Hey bros. Hey Lynn. We're back. We refreshed our drinks. <laughs> we ate some din dins and yeah. We got new margaritas. Got new margaritas and Lynn is getting more and more tired by the moment. Like, I feel like I could just, like, I hope your story's interesting, Rose, because I, if I start snoring, I just apologize in it's advance. Not, it's really boring. It is really boring. No, I'm just kidding. It's and, actually really interesting. Oh, to there's me. another fucking spam call. Oh, my gosh. I hate these people. I hate them. Oh, well. I okay. You ready for my story? I am ready, Rose. I'm ready. All right. As bone ready, so girl. So I followed this story as it was happening. <gasps> Ooh, yeah. So when I when I found it, and it's actually about two women, kind of. No, that's not. That's cheating, Rose. <laughs> no, that's cheating. <laughs> Too bad I did it. Oh, and by the way, my sister uh, apparently they're having some kind of dance party upstairs. So if you hear a lot of noise, <laughs> I have no idea what they're doing. We've yelled quiet on the set. Yeah, I'm a like times, quiet but on they the, don't yeah, listen. Yeah, they're like they're they just care. having a party up they there. Don't care about My sister's us. wearing like dance go clogs and she's like running around upstairs dancing, music the blaring. Music is blaring. God, it's like we're trying to have a career here. I know. This is business. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I want to say, so I got most of this information from this, for this story from an article in Glamour. Ooh. Titled, you can read? No, I just listened to it. Oh, okay. I have that my co- computer um, play it for me. Play it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Speak out loud. Thank you. Click. <laughs> so it's called Two White Moms, Six Black Kids, One Unthinkable Tragedy, A Look Inside the Perfect Heart Family by Lauren Smiley. Ooh. So... Like 99% of this is from that article because it was so good. Good job, Lauren. You're so good. It sounds like maybe Lauren wasn't smiling so much at the end of the article, though. No, it was a little depressing. What is that? Is that your computer or mine? Somebody's computer just went into full-blown blower mode. (laughs) What are you doing to your computer to make it heat up over there, Rose? It's tired. You serving some of that Fred salad? (laughs) (laughs) Some white creamy shit on your computer. Yeah, girl. <laughs> All right, that's enough out of you. Oh, I cracked myself up. God, I'm funny. Go ahead. I'm gonna cut your. I'm gonna cut your mic off. <laughs> go right ahead. I'm just kidding. I would never do that. I don't believe you, but go ahead. Okay, so at 1:30 a.m. in August of 2017. Dana and Bruce DeKalb were awakened by their doorbell ringing. When Bruce opened the door, he was startled to see a small, frightened girl wrapped in a fleece blanket with twigs in her hair and missing front teeth. The girl ran into their house saying, hide me. They whip us with a belt. What the fuck? The girl ran past Bruce. Oh, my God. (laughs) Too many margaritas. (laughs) (laughs) She ran past Bruce. (laughs) The girl ran past Bruce up the steps and into the bedroom where Dana was sleeping. Oh, my God. She just, like, ran right in the right. house. Oh you got to help. Please protect me. Don't make me go back, she said, waking Dana. They're racist and they abuse us. Oh, my God. In the three months the new neighbors had lived next door, the DeKalbs had never seen any kids in the yard, but they'd once exchanged a quick hello 
with one of the women when she jumped out of her car to introduce herself. Flashlights soon filled the front yard, followed by voices calling, Hannah! Several kids and two women stood at the DeKalb's door. Without asking permission, the women entered the (gasps) house, looking all over before running upstairs to the bedroom, where Hannah was balled up between the bed and a dresser. They just busted in their house. (laughs) Oh, I don't think so. And this is 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, no. Mm-mm. I would have been like... She would have met old five-finger Lynn. <laughs> My balled-up five fingers right in her nose. No shit. There, one of the women took charge, and Dana, still blurry, blurry from an herbal supplement she had taken for her insomnia, agreed to leave the mother and daughter in the room alone. When Hannah padded back down the stairs a minute later... later oh, my God. It's okay, Rose. It's okay. (laughs) She stared straight ahead. You need to tell these people you're sorry, the woman said. Yes, ma'am. You need to explain that you've just had a really bad week. Yes, ma'am. Dana planned to call Child Protective Services in the morning, but at 6.30 a.m., their doorbell rang. They ignored it. But then an hour later, it rang again. So wait. So the house that they ran away to. Yeah. The house that they ran away to, somebody rang the doorbell at 6.30 in the morning and they didn't answer it? So, yeah. The, oh, no, I would have been back at the door thinking it was the kid coming back. No, I guess they probably saw that it was the family out there. The oh, moms, okay, yeah. okay, okay. So this time they opened the door they to They didn't see... ring doorbells back then, Rose. FYI. <laughs> <laughs> They've always had them, Lynn. Liar. They opened the door to see Jen and Sarah Hart, along with several of their children, standing outside the door. Jen started to go on and on about how the kids were adopted and had been drug babies. She said Hannah was 12 and that her biological mom had been bipolar and that her teeth were missing because she'd knocked them out in a fall and didn't want them replaced. Jen also told them that the kids were homeschooled because one of their boys, Devante, had been bullied. Dana couldn't believe that hannah was 12 she looked much younger like oh, like like she was tiny yeah she was really oh. really tiny and so she was kind of her spidey senses were like eh, sometimes yeah. well yeah the fact that a kid ran into her house at 1 30 in the morning right, yeah, screaming like, that they're yeah. racist and they beat us yeah I, I think that would be red flag number one <laughs> I, i'm not sure why she didn't call cps at that time or the police yeah i, I, I can't even imagine but you know who knows so Jen told the DeKalbs that they had moved to Washington because it had been a the kids' dream to raise animals, grow for their own food, and be self-sufficient. Their kids' dreams. The kids' yeah. dream, yeah. They were well, dreaming of that. Kids always dream about being self-sufficient. Yeah. <laughs> Not. When, when she mentioned that their oldest son, Marcus, was 19, Bruce said to him, Oh, so you must be getting to re- getting ready to leave the house then. But Jen answered for him, saying, well, we certainly hope he's not leaving. Then Dana asked if she could have a moment alone with Hannah because she sensed that something wasn't right. But Jen declined, saying, we do everything as a family. Ew. Why are people so fucking weird, Rose? I can't with these weird ass people. I know. Then then Hannah handed over a note that said, dear Dana and Bruce, I stopped this morning because I feel awful about disturbing your peace and worrying you in the middle of the night. I was very frustrated with my brother and didn't handle things very maturely. And I'm sorry for telling lies to get attention. I'm working on being more honest and finding better ways to communicate my frustrations. Wait, how old is she? Nine? Um, they said she was 12. Oh, okay. The, the mom said she was oh, 12. Oh, no, 12, okay. I've been sad about two of our cats dying recently, so I was just very sad and frustrated last night. Thank you for being kind. Dana... Didn't think the note sounded like something a 12-year-old would write. Um, So she was like, it sounds like her 
her mom's like coached her, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. A kid doesn't run in your house in the middle of the night because their cat died. I'm sorry. No. There, yeah, no. there's just no. no way. No. So Dana didn't think... Um, oh, sorry. But it also caused Dana and Bruce to rethink everything that had happened. What if Hannah was just a kid with a troubled past who lied to get mm-hmm. attention? Plus, Jen had made them feel like they were would be crazy not to believe her. She sold it very well, Dana said. She was good. Oh, God. So she was... You know, one of those people who just, like, talked her way out of it. Do you remember my nanny said, don't trust trust nobody. nobody. (laughs) Don't tell nobody your business. Don't let nobody touch your body. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Lynn did not listen to that one. (laughs) (laughs) Poor nanny. You know she rolls in her grave every time I open my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. (laughs) So Dana still wanted to report what had happened, but Bruce didn't want to create drama with the new neighbors. They had, like, previously had drama with some neighbors, and he was just like, I don't want to deal with it again. Create the drama. Do it. Right. I mean, it's kids, you know, like. No. When it comes to kids, create the drama. right. But eventually, Dana told her dad what had happened, and two months later, Dana's dad, Steve, called 911, telling the dispatcher, I just can't sit with this. I believe those kids are being highly abused. Hmm. Someone from the sheriff's office called the DeKalbs to ask whether there had been more incidents, and Dana explained that while there had not been more incidents, the kids were almost always indoors. She remembers being told, it's not illegal to keep kids inside, and there was no other follow-up. Ugh. What year was this, Rose? 2019? Is that what you said? 16? Um, what did you say? I don't know. 2017. 17. So, yeah, kids stayed inside more than, than they did, you know, like when I was a kid. Yeah, but still, I mean, if she told them the story about what had happened, yeah, I, I mean, mean, her dad had told them the story about what had happened. Yeah, the and police would definitely call CPS. I mean, one thousand percent. If a kid jumps from their window and is running into your house at one thirty a.m., something yeah. is wrong. Yeah, that's not just my something cat died. Is wrong. Yeah, agreed. So County Sergeant Brent Waddle Waddle later said, so there right, was... right in time for turkey." <laughs> <laughs> there was... Happy Thanksgiving with your Waddle. <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing in that call waddle, 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 that said waddle. I better go up there. There was nothing anyone could have done. I don't know about that. Like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? No. You could have busted in there and saved those children from the There the wasn't anything were... we could have done. Like, oh, my God. It's oh, shit. so disgusting. <laughs> so eventually Dana learned that Hannah was actually 16. <gasps> what? So she thought she thought she looked young for, for 12. 12, but she was actually 16 years Holy old. Holy shit. That's how malnourished this girl was. Oh, my God. So she thought she was like eight or nine, but she was actually 16. A little about Sarah and Jen. They both grew up in a small town in South Dakota and met at Northern State University in Aberdeen. Sarah earned her degree in special education, but Jen never graduated. In 2004, when they were in their mid-20s, Sarah and Jen took in a 15-year-old foster daughter. The couple immediately started complaining about the girl, saying she would pick food out of the garbage. That girl, now in her late 20s told the Seattle Times that she lived with the Hearts for less than a year and never ate out of the trash. She said she believed she'd have a home with the Hearts until she turned 18, but then the women dropped her off at her therapist's office and never returned. Oh, my God. And then they were later allowed to adopt these other children after doing that. How how the... They abandoned a child. At her therapy... I mean, the kids already abandoned. Right. They abandoned a foster child, and then they were allowed to adopt. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, The system failed them. Like, multiple times. Oh, my God. Two years later, in 2000. 
2006, Jen and Sarah took in three siblings from the Texas foster system. Wait, 2006? So, yeah, we were going back. Oh, we we're went back. backwards. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. this was, was 2004 when they, okay. they had that foster child. Okay. And then now it's 2006. God, Rosie, you got you to keep me posted. Oh, I'm, my God. Lynn's like falling asleep over there. I got two margaritas in. I'm all comfy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> so two years later in 2006, Jen and Sarah took in three siblings from the Texas foster system. Oh, why not? Mar- why wouldn't they? Yeah. Marcus, seven. Hannah, four. So that's the Hannah. She was oh, four at the time. God. And Abigail, two. In a Facebook post, Jen dramatically describes her first night as the mother of three. Abigail urinated everywhere and gashed her chin falling down the stairs. Hannah smeared feces on the wall and gorged herself with food until she needed the Heimlich resulting in episodes of projectile vomiting. Marcus, she said, hit his head on a closet wall and in multiple voices claimed to be possessed by demons. Yet she and Sarah were committed to healing the children over time. If not us, who, she wrote. Yeah. Somebody that's normal? Yeah. I mean, the, I the white savior complex, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the spring of 2008, they took in three more foster kids. Five-year-old Devante, his younger siblings, Jeremiah, four, and Sierra, three. So now they have six black children, these two white lesbians. The children were abused from the start. Oh, my God. In September of 2008, six-year-old Hannah, Hannah was the main target. They, for whatever reason, hated her. So, I mean, like, okay, so, sorry to interrupt. Um, Not really. But um, (laughs) I'm I'm just kidding. No. So don't they, uh, my cousin has done foster to adopt, so I know she, she knows this answer. But don't they just, I know they do, like, random visits. Oh, yeah, they do. But. These women were good. They were good at, like, Jen was good at explaining they were total, away. like, sociopaths. Yeah, and, and they're white, and they're taking care of black children. So they're like, oh, well, these white women would never abuse these black oh, children. Oh, my God. And these things they post on Facebook are, you know, they're amazing parents. Oh they have these God. amazing lives. I can't, I, these, fuck, I would like to take these, the workers, and, like, choke them. Yeah, and these women and beat the shit out of them. Yeah, anyway, sorry. So, in September of 2008, six-year-old Hannah showed up at school with bruising on her arm and told a teacher that her mother had whipped her with a belt. Mm. Authorities interviewed Jen and Sarah, who said that Hannah had fallen down eight steps a few days before. They were never charged, and two months later, they took the kids out of school. Typical, like, abusive. If that's not a huge red flag... Okay, red flag number 976. Right. Like, what the fuck? But they were, enforced, they were forced to re-enroll them in the fall because it's a requirement when they're, when they're foster kids. So Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra had an aunt who had been fighting for custody for, of them for over two years. An aunt who had a good job, attended church regularly, and lived a very stable life. But in early 2009, Jen and Sarah were allowed to officially adopt the siblings even though a family member was trying to adopt them, a good family member. I don't even get that. Right. I mean, like, I feel feel like, I mean, I know that, I know that, well, first of all, I think it's always better for a kid to be, well, if the circumstances allow, like if it's it's a healthy circumstance, um, I think it's always better for the kid to be with their family. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I don't know. This, This kind of, this kind of shit just blows my mind. I know. Really. Jen wrote on Facebook about walking into the CPS center in Texas, saying Jeremiah immediately hugged her legs and said, you my mama now. And that kind of bullshit pisses me off. Yeah. So now you're saying this boy, I don't know, just the way she's like. Yeah, well, she's, yeah, she's portraying them, you know, uh, is just disgusting. Like she's some like white goddess and, and these 
little black kids are like, oh, my God, you saved me, Mom. Yeah, no. You know, it's disgusting. So as admirers admirers fawned on social media, a different version of the hearts emerged in government files. In November of 2010, six-year-old Abigail reported owies to her teacher. Mm. According to a police report, the girl said that after a penny fell out of her pocket, the moms thought she had stolen it. A penny. Like, I can't imagine a penny falling out of Charlotte's pocket and me being like, where did you get this? Yeah. You know, I, I would not even, it, I wouldn't even think twice about that. Jen took her into the bathroom and put her head in cold water. Oh, what? And struck her with a fist over a penny <gasps> being in her pocket that she probably found outside somewhere. Oh, my Upon God. noticing bruises on Abigail's back and stomach, investigators interviewed the other cart kids who said they were often grounded, spanked, or sent to their beds without food. But when Jen and Sarah were questioned separately, they told a different story. Sarah said she'd been the one to hit Abigail in anger. Jen backed up her accounts, and investigators believed them. The school also reported instances of the kids saying they hadn't been fed or asking classmates for food. The moms would later tell a social worker that the kids had food issues, which the school didn't understand. In 2011, two days before Sarah was convicted of misdemeanor domestic assault Mm. and sentenced to a year of community service and probation, the mothers pulled all six kids out of school. This time, they never went back. I so how they got away with that. Well, because they had adopted them by then. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And I only know that because my neighbor the f- how the fuck has foster children. And she has, she's abused this girl, and they are allowed to adopt. Like uh, I don't like. There's nothing. I my, don't understand at all. It's like the person, the person that has the file. Gets the file because like, this is the way I envision it. It comes across their desk. They're like, oh, she's abusing them. Oh, how many kids does she have? Oh, six. Oh, well, or she, uh, she's probably having a rough day or whatever. I'll let it go. Yeah. And no. But not even that because not. the kids are going to school saying that they're starving and they're not being fed and but they have bruises. It and... doesn't like one, even one thing. Just right. one instance, not multiple instances. It's like people being fucking lazy and not doing their job and then people not getting paid enough to do their job, too. That's the other thing. Social workers don't get paid nearly enough money for the shit that they go through. I'm sure placing six kids is going to be hard. So it's like, oh, yeah, much easier just to leave them there. Oh, my God. No. The system failed these kids. In 2013, the Hearts moved from Minnesota to Portland, Oregon, something they did any time there was a new CPS case against them. That's what I figured. Yeah, they were running. just hopping states. Yeah. yeah, and there's no internal CPS. It doesn't go into any kind of criminal system, record, or anything, right. right? There's no, there's no system that allows state to state, state to see what's going on in the other state. That's insane. Which is how they got away with it too. They found a community that embraced their family, and over the years, they became regular attendees at transformational festivals, days-long socially conscious mashups of music, yoga, dance, and whimsical costumes. Sounds like a cult to me. Jen was sure to update her Facebook status often, weaving a narrative starring herself as the world's most progressive parent. Her feed showed Abigail and Sierra covered in mud, holding their fists to their chests. Warrior women, Abigail and Devante, eating breakfast with hens perched on their heads. Vegetarian chicken and waffles. Devante, Jeremiah and Sierra painting on the living room floor. Mini Jackson Pollocks. All six kids grinning with kindness is contagious sign. There were pictures of the kids hugging a redwood and playing Twister on the beach. If any of Jen's followers had noticed that Marcus's face was so thin, his jawbone popped out at a rigid angle, or that Jeremiah looked alarmingly bony, they didn't mention it in their glowing comments. Mm. 
Will you just adopt me now, please? One said. I mean, and if you look at Ugh. the pictures of these kids, you can see that they're like extremely thin. That picture of um, Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra painting on the living room floor where she said, mini Jackson Pollocks. Mm-hmm. Those kids, they're supposed to be like teenagers, and they look like they're like four years old. Oh, God. That's how thin they are and tiny they are. And nobody, like, I, I just, I don't get it. It's so, like, had, yeah, because I would be like, if that were like somebody we knew, I'd be like, uh, did you see how thin those kids look? Like, well, I would call you and you and you would be like, yeah, I felt the same thing. Because some people are like, maybe I'm just like the angle of the photo or whatever, but I would definitely discuss it with somebody else and be like, whatever. Right. And then... But as CPS workers, you have to look at them and say, okay, all of these kids look, they're two different sibling sets. Yeah, and they all look malnourished. And they all look malnourished. Yeah, and people that are like, that do that sort of thing for a living, like social workers and stuff like that. They know what it looks like. Child placement. They know what malnourishment looks like. And they just ignore it. I mean, Mm. by law, parents who want to homeschool their children must notify their district, and kids still typically have to take take certain standardized tests. The children were never registered in Oregon, but multiple people who interacted with the family called CPS. The first call said, Jen does this thing for her Facebook page where the kids pose and are made to look like one big happy family. Hmm. But after the photo event, they go back to looking lifeless. This person also claimed that the children were like trained robots looking to Jen for permission to answer Hmm. questions. They appeared to be scared to death of Jen. Of course. Why wouldn't they be? During like when this whole thing was going on. Uh-huh. I watched a video of oh, no. them. They were like outside. I think they were like by a river or something or uh-huh. hiking or something. And it's crazy to see the video. Like she's like, okay, go. Like, And then the kids are like, oh, like these big smiles and putting on the show. And then as soon as it stops, the kids are like look incredibly like defeated and sad. Oh, and no. It was so sad. You have to watch. I'll I'll, sh- uh, I'll bring up the video and okay. to show you because it's disgusting. I'm actually looking at some of the pictures now while you're. You see how thin they are? Yeah, it's yeah. They all look very thin. Another call to CPS mentioned that Jen had allowed each kid only a single slice of pizza for dinner, and then it turned. And when it turned out that someone had eaten more during the night, she punished all six children by making them wear sleeping masks and lie on an, an air mattress for five hours. Mm. Both callers agreed that the only kid who got any proper attention was Devante. They told authorities that the like, moms what makes, were hardest. What makes parents choose like I don't know. I don't understand that at all. Like what makes them choose the I one kid? I don't just understand personality. That. Like they like their personality I guess. better. I don't know. They told authorities that authorities that the moms were hardest on Hannah and Marcus, either ignoring or berating him. CPS visited the hearts again in August of 2013 and each interviewed each child separately. Devante volunteered to go first and all of the kids' answers were nearly identical. None mentioned past episodes of abuse and Marcus said he was grateful for the moms for changing his life. Mm. Marcus was like seven when he was adopted. He should not be saying that. No, not at all. At all. They must, you know that they're saying, like, you're lucky I adopted you and, and gave you this great oh, life. Oh, yeah, because you're, yeah, can they, making the, you know, like, grooming them, basically. Yeah, right. Ugh. One social worker noted that, with the exception of Devante, the kids appeared very reserved and showed little emotion or animation. When it was their turn to speak to caseworkers, Jen and Sarah reported that Abigail had been labeled borderline mentally retarded and that Jeremiah was globally delayed possibly even autistic. Mm. They also explained Hannah's missing front teeth. She knocked them out while running on a hardwood floor the year before. On a hardwood floor. 
I think the fuck not. Yeah, you know they knocked him out. Officials determined that while there were some indications of child abuse or neglect, there wasn't enough data to prove that it had occurred, and they closed the case once again, leaving the children alone oh with their abusers. God. Lynn, there was some indications of child abuse. Oh, but the, but not enough? Like, they, what, like is, they were still alive? Right. Oh Isn't God. any indications of child abuse enough? I don't even... I, I uh, Apparently not. It just blows my mind. Jen and Sarah continue to use their family to gain attention. In December of 2014, the Hearts went to a Black Lives Matter protest in Portland. There, Devante, who was in tears and wearing a fedora and a leather jacket and carrying a free hug sign, approached a cop in riot gear. The cop would later tell reporters that he'd said to the boy, I'm sorry, and asked him for a hug. Devante obliged and the photographer snapped pictures as tears streamed down his cheeks Aww. so you'll see that that's like a famous picture oh have the you seen cop, that? i see it i see it right here yeah that's like a fa- that that's what made them like famous so wait the cop he had a free hug sign yeah and the cop said i'm sorry and and they hugged that's the story why did the cop say i'm sorry because Devante is black and they were protesting at black lives Matter. oh, oh okay okay and okay, so okay. after the I'm, photo I totally missed that. Sorry. Went, uh, after that photo went viral hitting the national news and even appearing in a skit on saturday night live it triggered a nationwide debate Was the image a symbolic moment of racial healing or a semi-stage theater? Mm. Many people who had witnessed the moment said that Devante was scared and talking to one of his moms and crying, like he was crying while talking to her, and she forced him to go over to the cop. Oh, no. Which I fully believe. He was probably scared to death. He's at this rally for Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and, and he's, he's scared of the cops and his mom right, made him and go he's this little this white cop. black kid who's no. probably like terrified and doesn't know what's going on. Ugh. In 2016, Jen wrote to her followers, We've come to realize that some think our lives are next to perfect. We're human and we struggle through life's obstacle course like anyone else. Later that year, Jen took a six-month hiatus from social media. She reemerged in the spring of 2017, writing, This year slammed us hard and announced that the family had relocated to Woodland, Washington, saying that they'd invite people out when the time was right. Yeah, that means that somebody else was on their trail. Yeah, that's when they, yeah, they had another one where they were in Portland. Yeah, somebody was Another CPS case. When they're in Woodland, Washington, Dana DeKalb, the neighbor, became obsessed with the house next door. She would check her mailbox often and work in the yard closest to the Hart house. She'd power walk up and down her driveway and just watch. Mm. She noticed that Jen circled the Yukon and let the kids out door by door before they all went single file into the house. She noticed... Like, think about that. Somebody with six kids, you know, like a normal family, all the kids would, like, burst out of the vehicle and run into the house. (laughs) But they would, like, have to, okay, you can get out, your door opens, you can get out, your door opens. are they, dogs? And then they have to send in a single file line. That's like Catholic school shit. That's alarming, right. It's like Catholic school shit right there. She noticed that Devante was the only kid who did yard work, hauling large bags of dirt by himself. And she noticed how the blinds were always drawn and the kids rarely left the house. Wait, was there a movie recently about this? I don't know. I all of a sudden just had like a... There's a podcast. I listened to the podcast. Then one day in March, Devante approached Bruce and asked him for tortillas. They thought it was just a neighborly thing, so they gave him some tortillas and he went on his way. But then he returned the next morning and again the next evening asking for food. And every time, he would nervously glance back down the driveway and beg them not to tell his parents. He was the only one allowed to go outside. I I either listen. What's the name of the podcast? Um, I either listen to the podcast or there's a movie on it. Because just what you just, the last couple things that you said just 
struck me because it was like the whole thing about the um, the social media was something that kind of Broken Hearts was a podcast. I don't know if I've seen it. That's so weird. Okay, there might sorry. be a movie. I don't, I didn't see that, and I don't remember that, but. Who knows? And every time he would nervously glance back down the driveway and beg them not to tell his parents. Once he showed up with a wish list, peanut butter, fruits, bagels, cured meats, and non-perishables. He asked that Bruce and Dana put the food in a box by the fence in a place where his moms couldn't see. Dana started asking Devante a lot of questions, and she started keeping a log so that she could go to CPS with the information and that maybe they would actually do something. So she knew last time... With the information she had, they didn't do anything. So she's like, okay, this time I'm going to keep like a detailed log and go to them and say, this is what has happened. She noted that the boy's head seemed larger than his body and that he claimed his parents withheld food, sometimes for days at a time. Oh, my God. He confided that Sarah used to push back on Jen, but not anymore. So Jen is like the monster and Sarah's probably also a monster, but in a different way. Yeah, but she was just like turning a blind eye. Right. Yeah. If she had yeah. been in another family, she probably yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't have been Yeah, so like Broken that. Hearts is a, this two-hour film will examine, will examine the tragic lives and deaths of the mysterious Hart family. That's a movie? Yeah, you might want to take that out because it gives away the ending. Oh. Yeah. Well, sorry. you can tell it's going to be tragic. <laughs> I know, but I, I definitely, I, I've seen it or something. Yeah, it came out maybe last you did year. see it. Yeah. Maybe it was a movie. I don't I don't know, but like, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like, I don't know. I, it's just coming back, like bits and but, pieces yeah, of what you're I saying. Talk about coming, it, yeah. yeah, sorry. So everything Hannah told you was true, he told Dana. My mom just told you those things to make you happy. They just crushed me, Dana said. Still, he begged her not to call the cops or they'll split us up. Mm. On Friday, March 23rd, after 10 visits from Devante, Dana finally called CPS. That afternoon, a CPS worker coming to visit the Hart house saw Jen's Yukon pull into the driveway. But when she rang the bell minutes later, no one answered, so hmm. she left her card in the door. Less than an hour later, Dana saw Sarah's card speed up to the house. The next day, the Yukon was gone. Sarah was supposed to open was supposed to open Kohl's at 6 a.m. the next day, but she texted co-workers at 3 a.m. saying that she was too sick to come in. There were no Facebook posts about the Hart's final road trip down the Oregon coast into Florida. I mean, <laughs> into California. <laughs> I was like, Florida? That's not down the Oregon coast. God damn, that's a long drive. <laughs> Holy shit. That's down our coast. Yeah. <laughs> On Sunday morning, a surveillance camera in a Fort Bragg Safeway showed Jen in eyeglasses and a hoodie paying $20.08 in cash for groceries. Bananas, carrots, Chef Boyardee's beef ravioli, wheat bread, cereal bars, and saltines. Mm. On Monday afternoon, a Coles co-worker called 911 and requested a welfare check on Sarah because it had been very unlike her to be a no-call, no-show. About two hours later, a German tourist reported a Yukon just 25 minutes away from the Safeway, belly up on the rocks below a scenic overpass. Mm. Rescue workers rappelled down the cliff. They lifted the dead bodies of three children and spotted two more corpses. 38-year-old Sarah in the back and Jen, also 38, in the driver's seat. Holy shit. The coroners found diphenhydramine. Diphenhydramine. Hydramine. An ingredient commonly found in allergy medicines like Benadryl in the bodies of Sarah and two of the kids. Jen's blood alcohol content was over the legal limit. Mm. No one had been wearing a seatbelt. 
Oh, my God. The car's computer revealed that Jen had stopped on a gravel pullout some 70 feet from the cliff moments before the freefall and then accelerated. So she pulled into the The um, pullover, pullover, stopped, and then accelerated over the cliff. Oh, my God. And the kids were all knocked out. Well, at least two of them had Benadryl in their body. And I'm assuming they told them not to put seatbelts on. I don't know. So they would all die. The bodies of Marcus, Abigail, and Jeremiah were found a few hundred yards from the wreckage. Two weeks later, Sierra's body washed ashore. Oh. Investigators began looking through the remnants of the Hart's lives, combing through their phones and social media accounts, and searching their house. An elite FBI behavioral analysis unit that had worked on the Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer cases joined the investigation. Mm. Investigators found the home's interior orderly to the point of seeming sterile. The house had a few board games and some books, but not much else to show that six kids had lived there. Could you imagine the amount of shit you'd have in your house if you had seven kids. <laughs> no shit. Like, the amount I have somebody would, three. Somebody would walk into your house and be like, she must have like 10 or 12 kids. <laughs> right? No I mean, I can't even imagine a few board games. You're like, oh, God. However, in, in, the investigators did notice that a refrigerator was stocked with lunch meat, fresh beef, hot dogs, and chicken, even though Jen and Sarah claimed to be vegetarian. Wait. So do, okay. That's so, the kind of bullshit they were putting on. They, so, they were pretending to be vegetarian. So they weren't vegetarian. And did they stock the fridge? Well, they they probably stocked it and ate it themselves. Did I know. Each but kid, saying, like, like a chicken they, wing. Yeah, I guess. The, the... Well, they didn't know until the social worker came. Oh, and I don't know what their leave. mindset okay. was that when they were sense. left, you know, sense. if yeah. it was they, just like a sudden thing. They were thing. fucking inhaling hot dogs while the kids were starving. Yeah. And I don't bitches. know if, like, Jen was drinking and then she was like, fuck it, I'm going to just take us over oh, a cliff Lord. because she was the main abuser. As the truth about the hearts started coming out in the news, their friends defended them, adding outrage to the discourse that was the fact that the kids had been removed from their black families and placed with white parents who were deemed more fit. For the hearts, it seems likely that their whiteness netted them multiple passes despite all the warning signs, mm. wrote Morgan State University professor Stacy Patton in the Washington Post. Mm. Shonda Jones, the Houston attorney who represented Sierra Devante and Jeremiah's aunt in her custody battle, says she's still haunted by how her client was treated 10 years ago. I don't believe that Miss Celestine had ever had as much as a traffic ticket. She went to work, home, and church, she says, and the court seemed to have had a complete disregard for her. For her. As this story went to press, Devante and Hannah's bodies were still missing. Some believe that Devante and Hannah were never in the Yukon, but that they had been killed before the crash oh, no. or that they were let out for some reason and were traveling together. The remains of the other kids were released to Jen and Sarah's families. Why? First of all, yeah. Why didn't you release them to their fam- their actual biological families knowing that these two were monsters? Yeah. On May 9th, 2018, partial remains were found and DNA determined that the remains, they were the remains of Hannah Hart. Devante was declared deceased, but his remains have never been found. And he was like, quote unquote, their favorite. Their favorite, yeah. So some people have theories that they like let him out, but I don't think that's true. I mean, and he wouldn't. I mean, why wouldn't he have eventually gone to police? Or, yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he, he would have. You, know, you never know. They could have brainwashed told him, him. Yeah, they could have told him go. But if you say anything, yeah, and we'll he's come like and kill you or something. Yeah. Who knows? I think they probably killed him in the the accident. His body just happened to, or they killed him before they even left the house. Yeah, I don't. God. Damn. Yeah, like, talk what about is wrong with people? Like monsters. Like why would you keep first of all, why are you gonna adopt kids if you don't want to be around them? Why? I don't get it. Like it's one thing to have a kid and like I mean that's not even okay, like give it up for adoption, but 
to adopt them, to go through all that work to adopt them, yeah. and then yeah, to so, abuse right. them. And so to back up to what you just said, because it sounded weird the way it ended up coming out. It's, it's, <laughs> it's one thing to have a kid and be like, oh, my God, I don't want to have kids. And you find out you're pregnant, blah, blah, blah. You can give it up for adoption. Yeah. Right? So you can do that. Or you, that there's other ways you can end the pregnancy. The, the way it came out was, <laughs> it was very different than that. <laughs> I knew what you meant, but I was like, let's clear that up. Um, but it's another thing to, like, go through all the work, like you're saying, of – putting a kid up and take it, going through the adoption process and taking in all these kids if you're just going to treat them like shit why right what's is it like a is it a, like a power trip like i or maybe like they wanted to appear a certain way oh because oh yeah gendered. they got the sympathy of other people because they had all these kids right yeah and like they were, they were, like, were everybody, saving all these kids yeah they and... had this like uh what's that the being better the than white, everyone like else. The white savior complex. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So it's, oh my God. This hurts my brain. It really hurts my and brain. Then, I th- definitely not only that, saw a movie or something like that. Not this. only that, but then all the people that failed them. The police, CPS in multiple states. Oh my God. Yeah. And like, why isn't there, why is there not a, like it used to be, so way back in the day, I don't even, I'm sure it's not like this anymore, but if you were committed a crime and you lost your license, let's say in Virginia, and then you move to, uh, let's say, North Dakota. Once you cross over the Mississippi, the police the police records never crossed. Yeah, right. So you could... It's the same thing, yeah. yeah. And so now I'm like, but with kids, like if you're, if you've adopted children, there has to be some sort they of national registry kids, or something, yeah. like, right? So it's like... So in an, this day and age, it's so easy to do. Yeah. I mean, even back when this happened, it was right. it was not that hard to do. So, like, why would they not have some sort of, like, national registry of, like, of like social work and child, you know, protective services or something, like some sort of national registry? So, so when they do move to another state, if they try and adopt kids, this red flag comes up and says, hey. Right. Yeah. But they couldn't even do that in their own fucking state. Or, hey, this, this person already has three allegations of abuse. Right. And right. now you're getting a fourth one. Maybe you should take the kids away. But that was in the same state, wasn't it, too? Wasn't it like that wasn't even after No, they, they were taking them from they took them from Minnesota to oh, okay. um, Oregon okay. to Washington. Yeah, I just don't understand. Like it blows my mind. Like I don't understand how, I don't either. how the system could fail. And it does it. These it children like this. It happens all the time. All the time. It's absolutely you ridiculous. You just think these poor kids like well, their I mean, the entire lives – the fact that they're in foster care to begin with is horrendous. Right. Like, so their parents are gone or their parents are drug addicts or their parents are so in jail. So they probably already had a rough life to start. They've had a pretty shitty life. Yeah. And then they have, they get put with these two white women and they abused the shit out of them. I just don't even understand. While telling them. them like, oh, you should be happy that I adopted you. So they just want to look like these amazing people. But in yeah. actuality, they were just complete shit bags. Oh, God, I hate them. They should have just killed themselves and left the children. Yeah, really. Leave the kids on the side of the road. Right. And just fucking drive off the cliff. What a selfish, but they didn't want thing. You know, they didn't want the kids to, to tell anybody what they had done. Yeah, well, we all know now, don't we? Yeah. Well, we don't know. I mean, I'm sure there was much, much more. Yeah, but they're still going to rot in hell. Yeah. There's a special place for people like that. For sure. All right, Lynn. All right. I'm ready to eat some turkey rose. Are you right now? No, I'm ready to go to bed right now. <laughs> It is 626. Is it really? I, I honest to God feel like it's like 930, minimally 930. Like, I, like how am I going to make it just to drive home? I'm so tired. Um, yeah. 
So it's it's a big day tomorrow. But yeah. I have to go home and I need to go home and make my jello salad because that shit ain't going to cook. Oh, ain't, yeah. Ain't going to congeal tomorrow. It's got to congeal overnight. Yeah. I'm glad I don't have to go home and do anything. You're such a bitch. Well, actually, I'll have to put some kids to bed. But Oh, well, that's fine. Maybe we should make this go on longer so I don't have to put any kids <laughs> to bed. <laughs> I just gotta make it to seven. No, I gotta make I gotta make my <laughs> sweet potato casserole. I, I love gotta make, putting my kids to bed. I gotta make room in my fridge for my sweet potato casserole and for my uh, what's the other thing? Oh, the Jello mold. I, I don't know where the hell I'm gonna put all that. There's no room. The only in my thing fridge. about Thanksgiving is that like waiting to eat. We eat at like one. I think. Oh, I wish we eat. It's so only. hard. It's like I'm just so hungry. We, we do the turkey trot. Are you doing it tomorrow? We do the turkey oh, trot. Yeah. That. No. No. And you know what? Have you ever my seen whole that? family does it, and Christina's. Christina and her kids do it. So have you, does Chris do it? Chris does it, yeah. With the, he usually pushes Lily oh, okay. and usually Charlotte, but I think Charlotte will run with me this year. So have you ever seen that meme where it says, before you get married, find out if the family <laughs> yeah. you're marrying run, if they, drink, if they on... drink Bloody Marys in the morning <laughs> or if they run in a race. Yeah. yeah. Chris married into the wrong family. This girl does not run He's a race. He's been regretting that for a Here's long thing, time. I wouldn't mind doing it, but it's just such a... Like, this year it's not, because it's just going to be me and Penelope at my house in the morning. Usually it's, like, you know, all of us trying to, like, make our last-minute yeah, dishes yeah. and stuff like that. Like, me and, like, usually Chris is making something vegan. Yeah. And Casey's offered to make something. So she's trying to, of course, the two of them, well, Casey more so, <laughs> waiting till the last minute. And then, you know, so I make my stuff in advance, and it's just always kind of chaotic in the house yeah. in the morning. And so I can't. But, like, tomorrow, I mean, I could totally have done okay, something well, like I that tomorrow. Okay, well, I signed you up, so. Uh, fuck that. <laughs> I have to have surgery on my foot or something. Whatever. You can walk. I'm not. You can I'm ride in the that. stroller with Lily. Girl, I'm going to sleep as late as physically possible tomorrow. Well, I wake up at like 6 o'clock every day, so it doesn't matter. I've been waking up. Penelope makes me get up between 7 and 7.30. Oh, my God. That's so, so late. It's so it's early. God in. knows. <laughs> and I get up. I walk her. I take her outside. Let her pee, and then I feed her, and then I go right back to bed. Do you really? Oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> it's fantastic. But see, if I do that, I feel like by the time I'm, like, up and out of bed, I have wasted so much time. Oh, not Because I have so much to do. Like, the weekends are my time to do everything. And I'm not like, me. oh, my God, if I sleep into 8, I'm like, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, look, it's 1130. <laughs> oh, what a great night's sleep. <laughs> you and Joseph. <laughs> Joseph's the same way. He comes, like, rolling out of bed at, like, noon. I'm oh like, oh, God. I saw his friend always runs in the morning uh-huh. in our neighborhood. And I'm like, oh, I saw your friend uh, running at, you know, 8 o'clock this morning. He's like, oh, yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> Man, when we were growing up, we had to be out of bed and we had to have our Saturday chores done by noon or we could not do anything the rest of the weekend. Are you serious? Yes. See, my and that's how that kid's parents are. And I'm like, I don't know. I go back and forth because I'm like, OK, on the one hand, that's good because you kind of want your kid to be like, give him a kick in the butt. Well, also, on the other hand, I'm like, why does he need to be up? Well, <laughs> I like to have when when Saturdays came along, I like to have everything done at one time. Yeah. So like at like by noon, the house is clean, even if it's only clean for 15 minutes. The house is clean. Do you know what I mean? But he doesn't have chores either. So I mean, he has chores, like, but I give them to him like randomly. Like oh, yeah. it's so not like kids, scheduled like, chores. Yeah. So we had, yeah, we had a whole slew of chores we had to do on Saturdays, and my kids did too. It it wasn't too much. Like one kid vacuumed, another kid dusted. Yeah. The youngest always emptied the trash cans. It was just like minimal stuff. Yeah, like that. right. It wasn't like big stuff. I need to but... give Charlotte some chores. Yeah. Yeah. Just getting Charlotte to clean up after herself is like a fucking chore <laughs> for me. <laughs> <laughs> She's like the messiest person in the oh, world. Oh, God. All right. Well, we're going to go eat some turkey tomorrow. Hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Yeah. Even though it was last week when you hear this. And please 
Give us a like and a follow on No Ordinary Women Pod on Instagram and Facebook and No Ord Women Pod on Twitter. Send us a shout out. Send us a message. If you like us on Facebook, I'll send you a little personal message. It says, thanks for the like, (laughs) y'all. And our website is NoOrdinaryWomenPod.com. You can look at the... We have the links to the photos that we talk about. We also have um, all the episodes are on there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, make sure you write a review. Write a review. And rate us. Tell us what your favorite episode has been so far. Yeah, that, That's helps, what we want. that helps us a lot yeah. if you do that. Just put so. a number. You can put episode six or Lynn just will show you, six or show seven. you her boobs if you do it. I will not. But, <laughs> but. I'll convince her. We will. I'll give you a big hug. Maybe if you're not creepy. With her boobs. Mm -mm. Okay. All right. All right. Bye. Bye, guys.